we fill pre-existing forms, and when we fill them, we change them and are changed. Subsection 1. Past the flannel plains and blacktop graphs and skylines of canted rust, and past the tobacco-brown river overhung with weeping trees and coins of sunlight through them on the water downriver, to the place beyond the windbreak, where untilled fields simmer shrilly in the a.m. heat, shattercane, lamb's quarter, cutgrass, sawbriar, nutgrass, jimson weed, wild mint, dandelion, foxtail, muscadine, spine cabbage, goldenrod, creeping charley, butterprint, nightshade, ragweed, wild oat, vetch, butchergrass, invaginate volunteer beans, all heads gently nodding in a morning breeze like a mother's soft hand on your cheek. An arrow of starlings fired from the windbreak's thatch, the glitter of dew that stays where it is and steams all day. A sunflower, four more, one bowed, and horses in the distance standing rigid and still as toys, all nodding. Electric sounds of insects at their business, ale-colored sunshine and pale sky and whorls of cirrus so high they cast no shadow. Insects, all business, all the time. Quartz and chert and schist and chondrite iron scabs in granite. Very old land. Look around you. The horizon, trembling, shapeless. We are all of us brothers. Some crows come overhead then, three or four, not a murder, on the wing, silent with intent, corn-bound for the pasture's wire, beyond which one horse smells at the other's behind, the lead horse's tail obligingly lifted. Your shoes brand incised in the dew. An alfalfa breeze, socks, burrs, dry scratching inside a culvert, rusted wire and canted posts more a symbol of restraint than a fence, per se. No hunting. The shush of the interstate off past the windbreak. The pasture's crows standing at angles, turning up patties to get at the worms underneath. The shapes of the worms incised in the overturned dung and baked by the sun all day until hardened, there to stay. Tiny vacant lines in rows and inset curls that do not close because head never quite touches tail. Read these. Subsection 2 From Midway, Claude Sylvanshine then flew on something called Consolidated Thrust Regional Lines down to Peoria, a terrifying thirty-seater whose pilot had pimples at the back of his neck and reached back to pull a dingy fabric curtain over the cockpit, and the beverage service consisted of a staggering girl underhanding you nuts while you chugged a Pepsi. Sylvanshine's window seat was in eight-something, an emergency row, beside an older lady with a sack-like chin who could not seem, despite strenuous efforts, to open her nuts. The core accounting equation A equals L plus E can be dissolved and reshuffled into everything from E equals A minus L to beyond. The craft rode the updrafts and downdrafts like a dinghy in a gale. The only service into Peoria was regional out of either St. Louis or the two Chicagos. Sylvanshine had an inner ear thing and couldn't read on planes, but did read the emergency laminated card thing twice. It was mostly illustrations. For legal reasons, the airline had to presume illiteracy. 
Without being aware that he was doing so, Sylvanshine mentally repeated the word illiterate several dozen times until the word ceased to mean anything and become just a rhythmic sound, not unlovely, but out of sync with the propeller's flux's pulse. It was something he did when he was under stress and did not want an incursion. His point of departure was Dulles after a service shuttle from Shepherdstown slash Martinsburg. The three major codifications of U.S. tax law being, of course, 16, 39, and 54, with 81 and 82's indexing and anti-abuse provisions also relevant. The fact that another major recodification was on the horizon would not, obviously, be on the CPA exam. Sylvanshine's private goal was to pass the CPA exam, thereby immediately advancing two pay grades. The extent of the recodification would, of course, depend in part on the service's success in carrying out the initiative.